Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Andrew Karch, who is the author of Early Start, Preschool Politics in the United States. I hope that you enjoy this interview. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Keith. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, I really enjoyed the book and know a little bit about you. I feel like at one point you may have been a discussant on a paper of mine and so um, uh, at some conference in the long past, but it was a real pleasure to see your latest and see this turn into such an interesting book that incorporates so many um, real big ideas. Um, before we get to the book, maybe you can t- talk a little bit about um, where you are, what your what your background has been, and, and where you sit now. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, thanks again for having me on. Um, so I am an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Minnesota, and uh, my research, going back to my dissertation, has focused on uh, federalism and state politics. Uh, in the past, I've looked at some of the factors that contribute to the spread uh, of innovative programs across the state, um, as well as element, other elements of, uh, of state politics. And so uh, this, this book project on preschool education reflects uh, those same themes. Uh, you know, there's a very strong emphasis here in the book on the interplay between what happens at the national level and what's occurring at the state. Um, and so that's one of the things that really drove my interest in this substantive uh, policy arena. You know, one of those one of those ideas, one of those concepts that um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about before we actually get to the, the meat of the book is this idea of a critical juncture. Um, I wonder before we get started, because it's so important in the book, um, if you can describe a little bit how this idea of critical juncture, um, how you understand it, how you define it, and, and how you define it in the context of the study of public policymaking. Okay, uh, so critical junctures uh, have been employed in a number of different intellectual contexts, but uh, the way I'm using it here is just to describe uh, really a a key moment in time that helps establish the organizational logic of a policy. And so uh, further developments tend to be extensions of that logic. So these, these are, um, you know, really key moments in time uh, that have a long-term impact. I mean, they're important in and of themselves, but they're um, also really crucial uh, over the long term for setting policies along a particular path. One of the, um, to sort of tell um, a couple of time periods of, of policymaking, but there is this time period that exists before the 1960s um, where, where early childhood policy was, was very, very, very much scattered and, and, uh, and, and not organized in, in really in, in some ways. I wonder if you can describe um, what existed before this time period. What, what was the array of public and private programs for pre-K education? in advance of the 1960s? Um, so, uh, as, you, as you said, uh, preschool education does have a, a long history in the United States, although the, the primary focus of the book is from the 1960s on. Um, you can go all the way back to the 1900s and things like day nurseries and um, other programs of that sort. Uh, 
the, the programs that I think are really useful for thinking about um, the evolution of preschool education are, are um, rather temporary endeavors uh, that occurred both during uh, the Great Depression in the form of emergency nursery schools and during the Second World War in the form of uh, Lanham Act child care centers that were viewed as temporary uh, responses to some sort of crisis. And so uh, prior to the 1960s, there, there was some national government involvement in this policy area, but it was always viewed through the lens of, uh, you know, something that was just a temporary response to a problem other than uh, educating young children. So in the great, during the Great Depression, the primary objective was to get unemployed teachers back into the workforce. During World War II, it was to enable women to enter the workforce um, and have their children cared for while they went to work in uh, in various factories. And so it's only in the 1960s that that conceptualization of preschool education really changes in a significant way. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this this um, this very complex story you tell of the the efforts to introduce new early childhood programs during the Nixon administration. Um, and before we get to you know what actually happened, I wonder if you could describe some of the key players in this time period, um, who inside government was was at the table, who who were the important groups outside of government that were participating in trying to push forward these kinds of uh, not reforms, because uh, but but the actual introduction introduction of some of some new programs. Sure. Um, so uh, President Nixon himself was interested in early childhood programs, but primarily through the lens of welfare reform. So one of the key parts of his family assistance plan was to get um, families or get parents into the workforce, and so there was a child care component there. Um, within Congress, the major congressional champions of, of this legislation were uh, Walter Mondale, a Democrat from Minnesota in the Senate, uh, and John Bradamus, a Democrat from uh, Indiana in the House. And, and they worked uh, in a bipartisan fashion, uh, reaching across the aisle um, to try to develop early childhood legislation. And interestingly, Mondale um, approached uh, Marion Wright Edelman, who was one of the real sort of outside forces that helped place this on the agenda, and so she organized a, a very large coalition of groups, um, many of whom, you know, would be uh, ultimately called, you know, the usual suspects with this sort of thing, many liberal groups and, and feminist organizations, uh, but she also tried to cultivate, you know, a wider range of, of interest groups uh, as well in this context, and so uh, the congressional champions actually worked with varying degrees of closeness uh, with Edelman and, and her um, coalition. A coalition that you, you described as making a couple of tactical mistakes during their efforts to try to get this proposed legislation passed. So what were those mistakes and, and how, how did they derail these efforts during the, during the next administration? Um, well, I, in my defense, I, I would say that they themselves, after the fact, were the ones who really identified these as mistakes. Um, so they made a tactical choice to um, not really engage the American public in a, in a concerted way. And so they tried to just really, you know, get this uh, initiative through Congress uh, using, um, you know, again, another tactical decision, which was attaching their early childhood proposal to uh, the renewal of, um, 
Uh, on the OEO, sorry. Didn't come, mm-hmm. come to me for a minute there. Um, because that was an office that was going to be closing. Right. And the thought was that Congress would pass legislation to keep the OEO in business. Um, and so attaching, you know, this early childhood legislation to, um, you know, that, that piece of legislation would be to alter the benefit. Um, of these groups, and it did seem to work, and actually work relatively well. Uh, the Early Childhood Initiative was attached to uh, the OEO legislation in both the House and the Senate, and it passed uh, both houses of Congress with fairly strong support. Um, and so it seemed that that tactical decision had had really paid off. Um, but then, when there was uh, there were hints coming from the Nixon administration that a veto was likely. Uh, what this tactical choice meant was that the public hadn't really been engaged on this issue, and it was very difficult for supporters of a strong preschool initiative to really mobilize any sort of campaign to either pressure Congress uh, ultimately to uphold the veto or to pressure Nixon himself not to veto the legislation. Yeah, which takes us sort of to the, the, I don't know, the second part, but to the next period of time, mm-hmm. where um, you incorporate this idea of, of venue shopping into your, your approach to looking at this. So, so what does it mean to, to venue shop in the policy process, and how is venue shopping related to this early childhood policy making during the time period after the Nixon veto? Well, venue shopping is an especially important part of policy making within the United States. The United States is, uh, you know, is often described as a country with a highly decentralized constitutional structure, uh, whereby there are a number of different points in the legislative uh, process um, where a proposal can be thwarted. And the idea of venue shopping is that each of those steps in the chain is in some ways a hurdle, but at the same time it also is a a point of access uh, for uh, either interest groups or policy entrepreneurs of of another sort. So just because you um, or your proposal is unsuccessful, say, in the congressional arena, doesn't preclude you from trying to shift to an alternative institutional venue. And so venue shopping would be um, would occur when uh, someone would try to shift the locus of decision-making authority, say, from Congress to the courts, or Congress to an executive agency. Um, or in the case of preschool education in the early 1970s, there was a shift from the national level down to the state. And so that's where federalism starts to play an important part uh, in the story. And so there are then successes um, that, that result from this strategic move from federal advocacy down to critical states. Where are some of the most uh, notable successes uh, that, that uh, venue shopping uh, resulted in what the what the advocates of, of more uh, assertive and larger early childhood education programs. Where did they succeed most? Uh, well, they, as you said, they, they did succeed at um, at the state level and in, in a variety of different states. Um, one thing that's important to recognize, though, is that the legislation at the congressional level was extraordinarily um, ambitious and comprehensive, and so in addition. Uh, to shifting their, uh, you know, their institutional focus. Um, what advocates also did was that they um, advanced proposals that were in many ways less ambitious um, than what they had been proposing at the national level. So it isn't as though they took this congressional model and, and simply transported it down to the state. 
Um, instead, what they did was they focused on uh, relatively achievable goals, things like opening offices of child development in various states. And, and those offices of child development um, really uh, established the states as stakeholders uh, in this particular arena. Um, advocates also convinced many states to conduct what they called needs assessments. And these needs assessments uh, would basically take a look at um, public policy or uh, preschool education policy or early childhood policy at the state level. Uh, think about what the state hoped to achieve and then assess how close they were to achieving those goals. Um, and so in a variety of different states, uh, literally all over the country, there, there wasn't really that much of a, a pattern um, in terms of either regional uh, successes or, or partisan successes. Um, those, even those minor steps were enough to really establish the state as, um, as stakeholders in preschool education. So if we step into the more current time period, um, how bullish are you on the passage of universal pre-kindergarten, uh, pre uh, uh, some of the proposals that are, are made today? Are you optimistic about the, the, the policy-making process, um, allowing these kinds of proposals to go, to go through? You sort of addressed this towards uh, just the end of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, um, you know, and it's worth noting that um, there has been a great deal of attention paid to the universal preschool movement, uh, particularly at the state level. And so states like Oklahoma uh, and Georgia have been real leaders uh, in, in this field and uh, enroll a, a very large proportion of uh, their four-year-olds in uh, publicly provided preschool programs. Um, one of the many themes of the book is that those types of successes are more likely um, when uh, sort of the universe of actors in a state is more limited. And so uh, one of the real challenges going forward in this policy area is getting groups that already have a stake uh, in preschool education on board with uh, some of these universal programs. Um, and so in states like Oklahoma and, and in Georgia, what you often saw during uh, the process through which these programs was created were pretty intense negotiations about the future role of programs like Head Start, um, about the, the future role of private sector preschool providers, including you know, many religious organizations. And so both for political reasons and in some cases for logistical reasons as well, um, many of these successes uh, only occurred when policymakers were willing to accommodate this very dense set of stakeholders who are already working in preschool education. And I wonder, sort of to, to take this back to sort of the larger conversation about state policymaking, policymaking in general, um, what you take away from, from this um, case that you've studied? Um, what are the things that, that we can learn from this for the larger study of public policy, and either in the larger study of education policy or the, the even, even more broadly than that? Um, are there lessons that, that you take away from this, uh, from the end of the book? Yeah, I think uh, there are some lessons for scholars. There are also, uh, as you say, some you know, broader lessons about uh, policymaking in the United States. I think one of the things that really struck me um, about preschool education, and I, you know, I didn't anticipate it going into the project, was the extent to which some of the rhetoric really resonated uh, with rhetoric that we see in the context of, of healthcare. Um, 
just as in healthcare, uh, in the in the context of healthcare reform, many supporters promise people that you know, if they like their coverage, uh, it won't be affected by change. In preschool education, you see a very similar sort of dynamic, um, and that works itself out politically uh, through what I was just describing before. Right? If state officials want to change, uh, you know, the existing program in, in a dramatic way, and they want to incorporate uh, more children and serve more children, uh, they really need to accommodate, uh, you know, those, those private sector providers or in some cases public programs like Head Start that are already providing those services. So thinking broadly about policymaking, um, this is a really nice illustration of how, um, you know, you really need to treat policymaking as uh, a moving picture and appreciate the way that um, stakeholders and their interests evolve over time. So if you look at the debates during the Nixon administration and you compare them to initiatives uh, during the Obama administration, you're, you're really dealing with um, a very different universe of stakeholders and that affects what's politically feasible. I really enjoyed the book. Uh, what's up next for you? Um, is this an area that you're going to be... Um continuing to work in? Or are you um, moving into other areas? What's, uh, do you have a new book project that's coming up? What's, what's on your agenda? Um, well, uh, one of the things that's on my agenda is to think uh, more carefully about this, uh, this sort of federalism angle that was so important in the book. I mean, one of the themes from the book, it, it, or one of the lessons that um, I like to draw from the book is that scholars need to be more attentive to federalism and how states themselves can emerge as stakeholders. Um, and so one thing that I'm pursuing is, is thinking about when that dynamic is most likely to occur. So there are lessons in preschool education that may be relevant to programs like um, Medicaid or welfare or transportation policy. And so I'm trying to learn a bit more um, about those uh, areas uh, and, and try to think about the conditions under which uh, you know, these, these types of feedback effects are most likely to emerge. Um, another interest that really grew out of the book was um, the role of framing uh, in public policy. And preschool is a very interesting uh, arena. It's one in which uh, supporters can frame uh, you know, their initiatives either in educational terms or as a long-term societal investment in the workforce uh, or in terms of equality of opportunity and school readiness. And so I've been thinking a lot about um, how public policies get framed and how certain types of frames uh, seem to win out uh, over the others. And, and so, um, you know, following through on that interest is, is probably going to take me pretty far afield from uh, preschool education, but um, it's something that was really sparked uh, by writing this book. Yeah, well, I, I hope you come back with, with uh, maybe two books or, <laughs> or, or more that, that results from this uh, ambitious uh, research agenda. Until then, uh, Andy's the author of Early Start, Preschool Politics in the United States. It's published by University of Michigan Press in 2013, available at their website. Andy, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Keith.